The Tough Love and Second Chances podcast is written and produced by Tony Bennett on behalf of Edgar and reveals remarkable stories of those who refuse to be defined by their disability. The power of the human spirit shines through with examples of how hope, courage, and the opportunity to express oneself through the game of golf makes for a combination that can improve and even save lives. The first person who tended to Reinhard after the accident found him without a heartbeat and not breathing. And it was the ambulance crew who made their hasty diagnosis and told his family that their son would have damage to his heart, his lungs, together with kidney failure. That's half a lifetime ago for the 28-year-old South African who is now affectionately nicknamed Rhino. As a 14-year-old, he was electrocuted by 11,000 volts, which resulted in him losing his right arm. But as Rhino is quick to point out, it could have been much worse. Please enjoy my conversation with Rhino. Whereabouts have I found you, Reinhard? Uh, morning, Tony. Thanks for the call. Um, I'm here in Funnabell Park in South Africa, busy working as well. Um, we've got a family business, repairing cars, so just taking a quick time off to chat to you. Okay, cool. And uh, it's winter there right now, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. It's nice and cold this morning when I drove to work. It was minus three, so Ooh. yeah, no, it's winter is here. So what about your golf? Are you playing a little bit of golf right now? Yes, I had quite a busy schedule the last couple of months, um, playing a lot of golf, working hard on my golf, and yeah, looking forward. Excellent. I I, I first met you, I think I'm right in saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was in Sweden, probably, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. Would that be correct? That's correct. I think it was at Hey, I'll tell you what, you pronounced that really well. You, I, I was trying to think about how to pronounce it, and I thought, well, I'll let you pronounce it instead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was, uh, yeah, that was probably five, six years. Exactly, and I remember being on a bus with you, going back to the hotel, and we had a bit of a chat, and I watched you play, and I was really impressed with the way that you played. I know that things have moved on since then, and you've been playing a lot more and a lot better as well. Yes, been working hard on the golf, so had a couple of injuries during the years, but yeah, it's hopefully came to an end now, and yeah, now I can focus more on the golf. Yeah, brilliant. Right now, the idea of today really is just to have a little bit of a chat with you and try and figure out, you know, how your journey was in golf, because we obviously know you as a golfer right now, but you're a golfer that plays with disability, so you're an arm amputee, and I think... I'd like to know a little bit about all the stuff that happened before that to start off with. So did you play lots of sports growing up and and who was it that first put a club in your hand? Yeah, um, I lost my arm in 2006 and before that I used to play a lot of rugby, cycle. um, I was good in athletics as well. So I've, I've always been a sporty guy and yeah, I played golf before my accident. I actually played the morning before my accident with my brother. I would say I wasn't the best golfer in the world. <laughs> um, it was more heat and hope. Um, but yeah, after 
my accident, um, first guy to put a club in my hand, I would say was my dad. Um, all my mates motivated me to come and play golf again. And I really thought they they're crazy because how how will I be able to play golf now with one of And yeah, I must say, right after getting out of hospital, my dad took me to the driving range, gave me a club and everything started from there. What kind of a golfer were you before? So you said you were just kind of hitting hope, but you you still played. Yeah, I, I, I would say I played three three rounds a year, maybe. So it was just to go out there, have fun. So I could hit the ball a long way, but never straight. So <laughs> you're a big lad, and you know you, you you hit it you hit it strong. But did you have a golf handicap? Uh, no, I wasn't a member at any club, but I would say if I had a handicap, I would be a, a 18. <laughs> right, okay. And all of the family played? Yes, my dad played golf as well. He had a back injury, so he was out of golf for a couple of years. My brother is also a very decent golfer. He plays over a 12 handicap, so it's always fun playing with him. And then all my mates from school play golf, so... It was always nice or starting to play more competitive golf with them. I've spent a lot of time in South Africa over the years going back to, I don't know, probably, I'm trying to remember, probably 1979 or or there or thereabouts when I first went there. And I, I was fortunate to play on the Sunshine Tour down there for three or four years. And even though I didn't do great, I, I, I learned about the country and I learned about uh, the people there. And I, I learned that South Africa is just massively into sports and I, I just thought wow what a what a place to 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 live and to grow up all the different opportunities that you had to play sport so you, you played lots of different sports as you said golf was not really very much on your radar but then of course you had your your accident and can you tell me a little bit about your accident um so in 2006 september uh my brother took, to, took me to one of my friend's house, um, right next to the Vol River. We went down to the Vol River, had a swim in the river, went back up to the house, and they've got a double-story building. So we climbed onto the wall to jump into the swimming pool. And where we climbed onto the wall, it was right, uh, right below the high power lines. And we thought it was um, telephone poles, and we've did it for years and that day I climbed on and I turned around and the power jumped straight into my thumb and I lost my right arm. Can, can you explain it what like, it felt like? Can you can you remember what it felt like? Um, I can't remember anything a week before my accident and then two weeks after my accident. I can remember like split seconds. I can't remember the, the shock itself. But I can remember when my uncle was on the roof with me, um, just like flashbacks. But, yeah, I, I couldn't feel anything, didn't have any pain. Um, I woke up two, two weeks later and realized they amputated my arm just, just before the elbow. And then um, they figured out my whole elbow was disintegrated as well. So they had to amputate it just above their elbow, and then I got gangrene, and then I've only got this little thumb left. <laughs> right. Do you do you know yet how many volts went through you at that time? 
11,000 volts. Wow. Well, yeah, so you're lucky to be here. Yes, I'm very lucky. Um, the first guys that arrived on scene, I didn't brief, I didn't have a heartbeat, nothing. So then the worker that was on the farm, he climbed onto the roof and he started praying for me and I started to breathe again. And then when an ambulance arrived, then they had to bring the fire brigade to get me off the roof as well. Um, they said to my parents, uh, I will definitely have heart damage, lung damage, and like kidney failure and stuff like that from all the power that went through my body. And I went through all the scans and I had nothing. So I'm very blessed with that. And no damage. Tell me what it was like when you when you first woke up. Uh, so you... Were you in an were you in a coma or were you in an induced coma? Uh, I was in a coma for a week and then they put me in an induced coma for another week. Um, and when I woke up there, I was just happy I was alive. Um, something told told me, or I felt like if that didn't happen, something worse would have happened that day. And so I was actually very blessed to be alive at that moment. And I actually took took everything quite well. Um, I was looking forward to get out of hospital and just try and ride my bike again yeah. and go and cycle. And, yeah, so I was quite motivated, especially through my parents and family supporting me. And what age would you be at that, at that time? I was 14. Okay. So it's still a young <laughs> So on that on those first days, and we we're, we're obviously going to move on, but I think it's going to be really interesting for for many people who perhaps are, are facing a similar situation to understand that other people have experienced what they're going to experience. And so when you so you wake up, you realise that you've only got part of your right arm left. What was the, the first thoughts that went through your mind after you realised that you were lucky to to be alive? What was going through your mind then? You're 14 years of age. You, you, sport is your thing. Yeah, it was it was like a bit of a setback because I don't know if I will be able to do any sports again. But it was a new challenge for me to actually stand up and do all the sports I did before the accident and still make it work. So, yeah, it, it's, it's tough to actually realize that you've only got one arm now. But, yeah, it's, there's a lot more to look look out for. Right. And so what about your family at that stage? How, how supportive were they? They were very supportive. They It was a big shock to, to all of my family members. I think my mom and dad took it the hardest. My brother as well because he dropped me off when my accident happened. So for them to get over it was, it was a long journey. Um, I think... I got it easier than them. Um, my, I just went on with everything, and yeah, I must say, my dad, like my quad bike, he converted everything so I can ju- just ride the quad bike with the left arm. Yeah. Um, fishing, he built a harness for me so I can still go and fish. Um, everything, my dad just went out of his way to still make my life the same before my accident. Is he a kind of an engineering type person? Is he kind of a Mr. Fix-It type? He is, yeah. He, um, my dad and his brother, um, they love to build stuff. So uh, any challenges that 
comes my way, they will sort it out and make, make it work at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the rehabilitation process. So what did that look like? Yeah, I was in rehab for a month. Um, so I was Just right a month, handed, so. only a month? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they say um, from the age of 15 and on, Except your left is your left, your right is your right. So my accident happened at the age of 14. So they said it's, it's quite easier to change everything while I'm young. So I went there for a month. The toughest part was to learn how to write again. Okay. Um, uh, otherwise, from that on, uh, everything else was quite normal again. It, it seems amazing that it's just a month because, it, you know, you... And I understand why, because obviously with uh, somebody who's perhaps had a leg amputation, then they've got to learn the whole walking procedure again. But it seems like it's a very short period of time to to have a rehabilitation. So what did you have to do in that process? What was your, your kind of tasks? So I was basically in bed for a month in hospital. So when they released me there, I had to my heart had to learn how to pump blood up and down again. So that was quite a tricky one because even if I climbed three, three stairs, uh, my heart couldn't pump all the blood up, so then I fainted. Okay. So that was quite a, quite a rough one for me to get over. Um, as soon as that was sorted, um, I do, they, they will have a, like a roof full of nuts, and I need to to turn everything out and turn everything back. So it was, it was quite tough. And just to learn your fingers to be, be as strong as, as your right was. Yeah. So, yeah, that was quite interesting. And, you know, I must say, um, to see the other people that say for already three, four weeks before I got there, uh, they adapted and working forward and getting stronger, that also motivated me to to make the whole process faster, to get out, get back home, and carry on with life. So then you go back to school, I guess? Yes. Um, I didn't go back that year. Uh, I only went back in January. Luckily, my points was good enough, so they advanced me to the next year. Um, I was quite afraid to go back actually to school because you don't know what all of the other guys might think or do or whatever. And I must say, um, the first day I went back to school, all my mates came to my house and we all went together. And yeah, it was actually just like the before my accident. It was actually very, very nice. And so then eventually you'd have to go through examinations, you'd have to write the examinations, or did you get the opportunity to use a, a typewriter or a, a keyboard? Uh, they, they said to me in rehab, I can do everything on a laptop. So my parents said, no, <laughs> you will learn to write again. Uh, I had to go for writing um, times. So with every exam, I got extra time. Okay. Uh, because I was writing a little bit slower than I used to because I need to concentrate more when I write. Right. But otherwise, uh, normally with an hour exam, I've got 15 to 20 minutes extra time. Okay. So, yeah, that's just to catch up with the slow writing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to your golf now because you are really a good player. You, you said that your dad put the club back in your hand and said, come on, let's go do this with just one arm. And you said you were a little bit, uh, I think, probably anxious about getting started with just one arm. So how did that all unfold? 
Yeah, so um, we've got a driving range very close to our shop, and my dad said, let's go there. And we went there. I said to him, let's get two buckets of balls, and then we can eat a couple. So after 20 minutes, I actually struck my my first ball and I went halfway through the first bucket and my whole body was was finished. I had no no power left. Um, so but at least I ate a couple of nice ones and yeah, I actually met a guy the next day on the driving range, um, Wesley Bennett. He I haven't seen him before in my whole life and he just gave me a swinging aid to go home and practice more and I was so scared because I don't know the guy from anywhere, and um, he, I was there every day for basically a month to just go and practice. And if 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 he comes back, he's back on the driving range. I can just give his training aid back, and I don't use it at home. And yeah, we ended up becoming best mates, and he started caddying for me in, in the SA Opens, and he ended up marrying my cousin, so we ended <laughs> up family. <laughs> <laughs> and who was he? Was he a golf professional or just a, a guy on the range? Um, he tried to get off to the Sunshine Tour as well. I caddied for him there. Okay. <laughs> and um, he's also a very good golfer. He plays on the two handicap now these days. So, yeah, it's strange how the world, world goes. Absolutely. When you started, did you just try and play the same way as you'd played with two hands? So Yes, that's correct. I still use my right-hand clubs. My whole body was quite in shock. Um, I don't have any power, um, so I started working out more in the gym, getting strong again. And then as soon as I got all my muscles back and everything, I actually started getting the club in a good position and be able to make a good swing on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're a pretty strong hitter right now, yeah? Yes, yeah. Um, I'm six foot five. Um, just over 200 pounds, so... You're, you're a big unit, as we say over here. <laughs> yeah, when I played my first one-on-one -on -one chat, um, my brother came with me to carry for me, and um, they said, we must definitely be part of the big five yeah, exactly. in South Africa. <laughs> and that's where I got nicknamed Rhino. <laughs> so what is, what is your handicap right now, Rhino? Um, I'm a 3.4 at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I would say playing a little bit better than that some stages and a little bit worse than that other stages. But yeah, I would like to bring it down at the end of the year to a scratch. Yeah. Well, that's the game. You're always going to play a little bit better, a little bit worse. That's the that's the way that it is. And have yes, you had, for sure. Have you had any coach that's really helped you to develop your game? Have you worked with anybody particularly? Just when I started off, um, I went to Martins van Sarden. He's an old professional that's running the golf clubs here um, close to me. Um, so he started helping me with mastering and getting everything right. And then I went to the golf school in Victoria. Um, so I had a coach there. And did my PGA through them, and I had a massive knee operation end of last year, and was out for six months. And when I got back onto the foot in Jan, 
Um, I started with a new coach, PSA Volskink, and I must say my golf has improved dramatically. And yeah, actually a lot more consistent. And yeah, I must say we're working together perfectly. And you mentioned that a second ago that you've been through the PGA program. Yes, that's correct. I'm fully qualified PGA um, since 2016. And I also worked in the golf industry for three years at Slamir Country Club down in the South Coast. And yeah, unfortunately with my injury, I had to come back and because I was out for six months. So I came back and then started working for my dad again. Yeah. And what is your aspiration? Do you, have you any aspirations in the PGA world or the you know, the golf industry? Yeah, I must say it's it's a lot of fun working in the industry because I've got a massive passion for it. Um, but yeah, otherwise, then loving the sport, I like to work in it as well and just be on, out on the course and just check that everything is perfect on the course, school side as well. When you stand up and show them and you demonstrate, I can only imagine the face of the student that's in front of you. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny when I was still at Salamir and people come in because that's more like a holiday resort. So... Um, in December and June and July holidays, they come to Salamia and then they ask for coaching because we've, we had one of the top courses there. And um, and then they would say, okay, Reinhardt will take you for a lesson and they see I've only got one arm and then you can check they, they're not 100% sure where this is going. They, he gets the results to one. Yeah, and so they no longer see the disability, they just see the, the coach in front of them, yeah? That's correct. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, for sure. I, I get the impression that golf has been essential for you. And uh, can you walk me through what golf means to you and how it's had a positive impact in your life? Yeah, so I must say, I think if I haven't lost my arm, I would have, wouldn't have be in this position to travel the world and play golf. Um, golf has taken me right over the world to America, Europe, um, must say it's, I'm very blessed to be able to do it. And playing golf, I've met so many nice people like yourself. And it just, it's, I see the golf industry as one big family. And what's nice about the golfing family is doesn't matter what problem you've got or what situation you're in, you, you can always pick up your phone and just phone a golf buddy and you will always get an answer or they will help you through any situation. Um, I think I've learned a lot through golf about myself, um, made me a better person. Um, I, I did my first um, overseas tournament when I was 15 years old. Um, I was still too young to fly on my own, so I had to take my mom with me. <laughs> um, so she did a, she did a couple of tournaments as well. And yeah, I must say, it makes you a stronger person. And um, the small stuff that most people struggle with, you don't see it anymore. You just go over it and, and go for something bigger. It's a fantastic outlook on life that you've got there. And I think you're right about the industry. 
So what have you learned about yourself, uh, Reinhard, by, by playing golf? Uh, patience. <laughs> patience. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, in this, as you know, in this game, you need to have a lot of patience. Um, sometimes the birdies doesn't want to come, but you need to be patient and keep on going, and it will come. I would also say um, self-respect. You need to have confidence in yourself to go out there and shoot good scores. Think you're a different person. You must go out there and show the people who you are. Yeah. And you learn through that. You learn a lot about yourself. It's quite tough to explain to but you must make yourself proud as well. Yeah, I think it's a very it's a very good point, well made. That I think it's also difficult, isn't it, to be somebody different on the golf course than you are in your your kind of non golf life. Whatever you are in in life, you are in golf, and uh, That's it, it seems to it seems to show through very well. Just on on players with disability, do you see many players with disability out in South Africa? Yeah, I must say we've we've got a a big group of disabled players in South Africa. Um, we we host the Canon South African Disabled Open every year, um, where we normally have hundred players. And it, I must say, just in Halting area, we probably got around two hundred disabled players. So I must say. It's it's quite popular in in our area, and it's growing every day. And it's always nice to see when we go out or so, and you see a disabled guy. To I always go up to them and ask them, "Do you play golf?" And normally they say, "No, you know, I can't play golf. I'm a leg amputee or I'm an arm amputee." And then I can have a like a chat with them and say, "But I'm an arm amputee as well." And I play golf, and it's it's always nice to see their facial expression when when they haven't heard about disabled golf or so, and to get them into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Golf RSA and um, the South African Disabled Golf Association, they obviously are now collaborating, and it seems like certainly the South African Disabled Golf Association over the last few years has done some really good work in getting more people playing the game. Yes, for sure. We want to build a better future for the next generation coming up to, to be able. My 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 biggest dream for disabled golf is to to have players that can make a living on on the tour and just play golf and show the rest of the world what they're capable of doing. Yeah, let's just say you had the resources and that you could make three decisions that would positively impact more people with disability having the opportunity to play the game. What would you do first? Um, I will definitely, the first thing, we need more exposure. I will get it out there so that everyone knows there is disabled golf. And through that, um, run clinics yep. for for people who hasn't played golf before that's, that's got a disability, so you can get them... Um, into the game and show them actually they they are capable of playing golf. And lastly, I would say to to take disabled golf forward so you can actually make a living playing this this awesome game. 
without a shadow of a doubt, there is more opportunities now for people with disability to play golf than ever before. And it's ironic that I guess that, that golf perhaps is the most inclusive sport of all. If we're going to get more people with disability in, into golf, I mean, how should we go about attracting them? You made your point about the three things that you do very well. But what do you think we should be doing to try and attract people with disability to the game? I would say um, to attract them more to the game is for those who doesn't play golf yet, um, take them to the golf course or just to the driving range and see actually how much fun it is. Um, I know when you just start playing golf, uh, you can't really, you just hit the ball, but as you progress in in the sport, you start into different shapes and and you can make it fun for yourself. And yeah, I would just say uh, we we've got a, a a disabled day every month, and we plus minus forty disabled golfers get together, and you you just look at them, and it's just all smile, making jokes of each other's disability, and. I think people will really get into this. Yeah, it's 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 definitely that's where my my passion for it also started is when I played my first disabled tournament. Um, the guy who did the prize giving said, um, "All the deaf people, please stick up your hands," and I just started laughing. <laughs> and um, you take the Nikki out of each other and. Yeah, it's just that that actually motivated me more to go and play and uh, just have a good time. Yeah, I've witnessed that firsthand, and it is quite an atmosphere. It's it really is. It's first class to to watch the guys and to to be part of it and to see the guys just enjoying themselves. Yeah, it, it's it's very different. So just just on that one, that do you think it helps to have players with disability coaching the new players coming in? Does that help, do you think? Yes, definitely. Um, what I've learned about uh, one one leg golf swings, uh, one arm golf swing, wheelchair players, blind players, um, it's, it definitely helps if, if, if you've got a little bit of background on it and you might just make it easier for the next guy to, to get to his potential. Um, I must say, my coach at the moment, he, he hasn't coached any disabled player before. Um, the fundamentals of, of golf still stays the same. But um, just to maybe, like, I can help a guy with a one-arm to to maybe get quicker to his perfect setup and everything than a guy who hasn't taught anyone um, disabled golf yet. So um, it will definitely help. And just by actually showing the guy who's coming for a lesson or for golfer what you're capable of doing with a golf ball will just motivate him to also take up the sport. Right. I ask this question a lot, which is, if you could magically be with someone who has a similar disability to yourself, and that, that could be at the point that they wake up like you did in the hospital bed and look to your right and saw that there was an arm that was missing, yeah. or perhaps somewhere in the, the rehabilitation stage or as you started to get used to, to living life, 
uh, as an amputee, if you could magically be with that person, what advice would you want to offer them? I would say buckle up because this is your life only starts now. Yeah, it's, the guy who came to me when I was in hospital, he said to me, get ready because now your life's going to start. And right. this is the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life is losing my arm. It doesn't sound good, but yeah, it is. It's opened some new doors. Yes, definitely. Um, I think if I don't lose my arm, I would have had a proper office job just sitting in the office all day. Now I've got the opportunity to travel the world, and um, my office is the golf course. So, what better office do you want? <laughs> right now, I can't. I can't say any more after your your final comment there. You're dead right. It's a great place to be, Reinhard. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. I've really enjoyed it. I think you've got some fantastic stories to tell. Thank you very much. Reinhard, if somebody wanted to reach you, maybe they just want to, maybe they're in a similar situation, they'd like to just uh, get a little bit of advice from you, is there a way that they can find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, it's Rhino Golf. Um, they can send me a private message there, or if they want to send me an email, my email address is on my Facebook as well. But if you don't have, have um, Facebook or Instagram, you can just send me a, a, a private email as well at uh, Reynard yeah. at Um I will respond to it as soon as possible. And yeah, please go and like my page and follow my journey forward. Reinhard, you're a good man. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again and uh, spending some time with you. Thanks for your time. I'll get back to you soon. Thank you very much, Tony. Have a lovely day. This was an Edgar Player story, supported by Ping, helping golfers to play their best. For more information about Edgar, please visit edgargolf.com. Stay tuned for the next Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. Ping. Play your best. Play your best.